Welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. And I'm Marika Hart from Perisphere. Together, we interview leading authorities, and we answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information that we can find on all aspects related to women's health. Please remember that the materials and content on this podcast are intended as general information and they are for entertainment purposes only. They're not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Now sit back, grab your favourite beverage or do your thing and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I've got Molly Galbraith with me, as well as Marika Hart, and I'm Anthony Lowe. Welcome to the podcast, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It's um, it's it's been a pleasure. We've communicated many times on email and messenger, and and you know, Marika's um, a part of Girls Gone Strong and the team that you've got going there. Great team that you have. Um, so it's it's a great privilege to have you on the podcast and uh, really looking forward to what you have to say to our audience um, and, you know, from the point of view of a fitness professional and an educator and really an influencer in, um, in, in the world. Um, so I love what you're doing and um, really looking forward to hearing from you today. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Molly, we just wanted to kick off by asking you a little bit about your background and obviously your background in the fitness industry, but even prior to that, if you want to, if you want to go there, I know that you did a lot of, um, you did some uh, bodybuilding kind of work as well. You can, if mm-hmm. for people who are listening, <laughs> I'm actually striking some terrible poses. Um, <laughs> I'd really love to hear the background and how um, that sort of story came to be Girls Gone Strong and the people that you collaborated with that and I guess why you feel so passionate about training women. Yeah. So I've got, I've got quite a bit to share. So buckle up. So, uh, so I was an active child growing up. I was actually a competitive gymnast for about five years, which is interesting because I'm almost six feet tall. So I have an affinity for picking sports that don't necessarily seem like they fit my body type, but figuring out how to make them work. So did that for five years. And then I was a cheerleader at the beginning of high school and at the end of high school and beginning of college, I became really sedentary. It was at that point in time that my eating habits kind of caught up with me. So I always joke that I didn't eat anything that wasn't beige until I was about 19. So I'm talking macaroni and cheese, mashed potatoes, grilled cheese, just like, I mean, really, I wasn't eating, I liked broccoli, but other than that, wasn't really eating a lot of vegetables, wasn't eating a lot of fruit, wasn't getting a lot of protein. At that point in time, my eating habits kind of caught up with me because I was pretty sedentary. So it was February of 2014, so almost 15 years ago, that I decided I wanted to get in shape. And I didn't really know what that meant, but in my mind, it sounded really good. I was like, I'm going to get in shape. You meant 2004, didn't you? I'm sorry. Sorry, 2004. That's what I meant. (laughs) Is my math wrong? (laughs) February of 2004. I've said that once or twice. Sorry. February of 2004. (laughs) almost 15 years ago, I'm glad I clarified, um, that I decided I wanted to get in shape. So I hired a personal trainer. I was a broke college student, so I could only um, afford like 30 minute sessions a couple times a week for about six weeks and worked out with him and saw some results and, but really got hooked on the gym in general. So I started working out really consistently. The end of 2004, I started dating a guy at the gym who was a personal trainer, which is much more economical. He was a, a competitive power lifter and bodybuilder. 
And so I was thrust into this world of intense exercise pretty quickly. And by 2005, I had competed in my first push-pull powerlifting meet. But what I really wanted to do was figure, because in my mind, uh, there was something, quote unquote, wrong with my body that needed fixing. And I thought, if I can make my body look like that, then X, Y, and Z, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be good enough. Then I'll be beautiful. All of these kinds of things. Then I'll be worthy. And so I did my first push-pull powerlifting meet in 2005, and then I competed in figure in 2006, seven, and eight. Every time I competed afterwards, my body would rebound really badly. I would gain 15 to 20 pounds back pretty quickly in a matter of a few weeks. I developed some uh, really disordered habits with my eating, um, became even more obsessed with food than I had been prior to that, which was really challenging. And after my last competition in 2008, uh, despite being pretty meticulous about ramping my calories back up, I gained a lot of weight really quickly and I just felt awful. And so it was, I was 24 years old and I remember I couldn't even get up off the couch to get a glass of water. I was just so physically exhausted, so emotionally, mentally exhausted. I felt very physically depressed. Um, and so I went to see a doctor and I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune thyroid disease, uh, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, and an adrenal issue where there's a feedback loop issue between my brain and my adrenals. So no wonder I was feeling so badly. Um, and at that point in time, I was struggling a lot because for the last five years, I had had what felt like complete control over my body, right? I'd said, okay, if I ramp up my cardio like this, then this will happen to my body. If I you know, lift this way in the gym, then I'll gain this amount of muscle. If I change my carbs like this, then this will happen. So all of a sudden, I felt totally out of control of my body. So I looked in the mirror. I didn't recognize my body. I didn't feel at home in my body. Um, I was getting you know, commentary from people about my body. And I, it was really uh, challenging for me emotionally to all of a sudden, seemingly overnight, not be that super fit, shredded, lean girl, right? My, so much of my identity was wrapped up in that. So I said, okay, if I can't be super lean, then I'm going to get really strong. And I decided to um, compete in powerlifting again. So I took the little bit of energy that I had and put it into three or four training sessions a week, uh, worked up to another powerlifting meet, had a great time and decided, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to get really strong. So I started training for max strength and my strength wasn't going up. And um, long story short, I was told that I had built this house of strength on a, on a not so great foundation. <laughs> so I, um, I started working with some coaches to rebuild that. And around beginning of 2012, things were good. My strength was going up. I was feeling really good. I was managing my autoimmune disease well. And then January 4th of 2012, my dad died unexpectedly of pneumonia. And I found out he was sick on a Saturday and he died on a Tuesday night. And I didn't um, realize that that happened so quickly, Molly. That's awful. Mm -hmm. I found out he was sick. Yep. Saturday night, he died on a, uh, on a Tuesday night, Wednesday morning of pneumonia, which is not something I mean, he was 64. It's just not something that, you know, you think, uh, is going to happen in this day and age with the, with the medical care that we have. And, um, about two weeks later, I was uh, back in the gym and I was deadlifting and I hurt my back. Um, I don't know exactly what happened because I just, I was working with a coach. I told him my back wasn't feeling right. Um, and he said, no problem. We'll just adjust your, you know, workouts like this. And that ended up kicking off about two years of uh, chronic back pain. So 
It hurt to tie my shoes. It hurt to sit in the car. It hurt to, I had a gym at that point in time. It hurt to demonstrate exercises for clients. Um, and it was just really devastating because so many things I felt like had gone wrong. That same year, I left a six-year relationship, moved back home with my mom and my stepdad. I mean, it was just this emotionally devastating year um, and physically devastating as well. So the end of 2012, I had gained a bit of weight back because I wasn't as active as I could be or as I, as I used to be. And then I started getting all kinds of criticism from people in my community, from um, colleagues and from like people on the internet. So you guys are both on the internet, you know what that's like. People were showing up on my YouTube video saying, why aren't you lean anymore? I don't understand what happened. Are you still working out? There was a woman in my community who told other women not to come to my gym because they might look like me. And there was a male colleague who came to my gym stood in my office at my seminar where he was speaking and insinuated to my staff that I was fat, which at the time for me, I had the belief that fat was this terrible insult, right? I no longer subscribe to the, to the fat phobic idea that fat is the worst thing that you can call a woman. But at that time, because I had so much of my self-worth wrapped up in the way that my body looked, that was really devastating for me. So that was 2013. Um, I had started Girls Gone Strong a couple years before and I was just devastated. I mean, who am I to, who am I to own a company like Girls Gone Strong? I'm not strong anymore. My body doesn't look fit anymore. And it was a really tough year for me. So it was 2013 was the point in time, which I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to, uh, figure out how to heal my relationship with food and my body. I'm no longer going to put my worth in what other people think of the way that my body looks or even what I think of the way that my body looks or what my body can do. Cause you know, it's so easy to be like, don't worry about what you look like, worry about what you can do. But that's just another way of, you know, of quantifying your self-worth, right? By how much weight is on the bar or whatever. So I was like, I'm not going to put my put my self-worth in the way that my body looks or what it can do anymore. I'm going to really focus on healing my relationship with food and my body. So that kickstarted a five plus year journey, uh, which of course I am not at the destination. I don't think we're ever really at the destination. We're always on the path moving forward, but um, things have obviously gotten significantly better since then. I no longer have chronic back pain, which is really incredible, super exciting. Um, and for me, a big Part of that, which I'm sure you guys can speak to, is no longer thinking of myself as a person with pain. Uh, I used to watch people deadlift and wince, you know, and think, ah, ugh. And I just, I thought of myself, I'm a person with back pain. I'm a person with back pain. My back hurts. I can't tie my shoes. I can't deadlift. I can't kettlebell swing. I can't ride in the car without a heating pad on my back, all of these types of things. So for me, it was um, certainly doing particular exercises and working with physios um, to regain movement that wasn't painful and regain ranges and regain being able to lift, um, do certain exercises and lift certain loads that weren't painful. But so much of it for me was also a retraining of my, of my brain and thinking of myself as strong and capable and resilient, which I had not for a long time. So there's a lot more to talk about, but I've been talking for about five minutes straight. I was just thinking like, you. you know, your story really res resonates with me, Molly, because my story with my back issues was kind of, similar in a way that I, I described it as a perfect storm um, because I think, you know, all of us will have back pain at some point. And I think statistically most people will have an episode of back pain on average every year. I think, is that right in the stats, Anthony? Yeah. One or two years. <laughs> yeah. So we will, you know, most people will have episodes of back pain and will recover, you know, within six weeks. 
Um, but I had that situation of a perfect storm as well, where I was really stressed. There were just so many different factors going on in my life and I felt broken. And I remember, you know, I had to completely change my mindset around my pain. And it was easier in a sense as a physiotherapist and having an understanding of chronic pain, because I could say to myself, Hey, you know that your stress levels are ramping up your pain um, sensitization big time and you need to go for a walk and you need to do your breathing. And I, I needed to get myself back into Taekwondo, which was, you know, where I had the pain, you know? And so it's, it's very difficult when you've had pain in the gym, like you say, and it was a deadlifting incident. So then you think, Shh, I'm not going to swear. I'll swear all the time. Sorry. But shoot, I, I, I was deadlifting and I did that. I probably did that deadlifting and I blew my disc out or, you know, we have these thought processes and it's very hard to kind of stop and go, you know what? My body's amazing. It's really good at healing itself. My nerves are just going, ooh, 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 ooh. And, and my brain is just, you know, um, setting off all these alarm bells and, and I've got to really try and calm that stuff down and get back into that environment and start doing those things again and feel that safety and feel that, um, that resilience in, in, and strengthen your back. Yeah, that was huge for me because I realized just doing the physical type of, you know, rehabilitation exercises and whatnot wasn't, it wasn't working. I was trying all of these different things and thinking like, this person's so smart. Why isn't this working? You know, they say, how are you feeling? I'm like, I still feel awful. You know, I still can't do any of these things. And I realized that I was constantly thinking of myself and identifying as a person with back pain. So it was really yeah. huge for me to, to let go of that and start thinking of myself as strong and resilient. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I listened to your story and, um, and whilst, you know, I, I haven't lost any parents yet, thank God. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I don't even know how I'm going to cope when that happens. But, um, you know, I, I, at the moment, the last three years, I've been the unfittest that I have been ever. And it's because of pain, it's because of gout, it's because every time I try to lose weight, the way that the biochemistry works is that it increases the uric acid, which increases my pain, and I'd have been on medications. And this past summer, literally this past month, has been the only month, I would say, in five or six years where I don't have pain because I'm exercise or eating cleaner. And that wow. is just so weird to say out loud, <laughs> but you know, it's, yeah. I totally understand when, you know, I, I wouldn't even, it, it is disordered. I would eat because the way the doctor explained it to me was that by eating, I don't, I don't break down tissue. So losing weight, you know, metabolizing fat breaks down tissue, which increases my uric acid levels, basically, that's how it works. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was on this, I, I didn't realize just how scared of pain I was. And I'm not scared of pain, you know, like, <laughs> I, I do CrossFit workouts, where <laughs> I end up on the ground, like some workouts takes me an hour to recover from, like lying there on the ground. That's how hard I've pushed. I'm not scared of that kind of pain. Mm -hmm. but, oh, you know, the pain that just stops you from working. It's, mm -hmm. wow, you know, that, that's, amazing that 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 gives me a lot more understanding as to you know why you're so passionate about helping women and training and and realizing that it's not just about the structure it's about your mindset your identity and um you know so much in there um 
what I would love, to, what I would love to know more about is, is why did you decide that a, a, a postpartum, prenatal and postpartum coaching certificate is necessary for Girls Gone Strong? Like what, what led you to this idea that, okay, we need to help trainers understand women better, particularly around this area? Yeah, I love this question because it's such a, it's such a, fantastic story from my perspective. So I got interested in fitness in 2004, not 14, four, 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 almost 15 years. Um, and I, the entire time I was learning from incredible mentors in the world of strength and conditioning, physiotherapy, registered dietitians, PhDs, chiropractors. I was constantly um, just trying to learn everything I could get my hands on. Uh, and in the beginning, it was more general strength and conditioning. And then obviously I became a bit more interested in, in women's specific stuff. I mean, I was one of the only women in the weight room in pretty much every weight room I went into in 2004. And so, um, and you know, the way Girls Gone Strong actually started was in 2011. Um, a, there were a number of us who had, you know, blogs or YouTube channels or some type of quote unquote following online. Um, and one of the women, well, first of all, Brett Contreras, otherwise known as the glute guy, had sent an email to myself and about a dozen other women and said, hey, now you all are all connected via email. It's time for more women to do something in the world of strength and conditioning. You know, let, like now, you, now you're connected, do something cool. And so that happened in maybe the spring and, you know, we were all kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, nice to be connected with you, whatever. Then by fall, one of the women had sent me a tweet and said, it would be so fun to all work out together sometime. And there were a number of us that said, I promise I'm getting to your question about the CBPC, about, about the certification. We, um, we all, I said, well, a couple of us are going to be supporting Julia Laduski at her powerlifting meet in Cincinnati if you want to come. So we sent an email to all of the women Brett had originally connected and a handful of other women and said, hey, we're going to be in Cincinnati in August come hang out with us. And so seven women showed up and we had the most amazing weekend. And it really started because we just wanted community of other strong women who were interested in strength training. And it's like, well, I want to help women. I want to help women. I want to help women. And it really started out with us wanting to, what I say, called preach the gospel of strength training for women because it had changed our lives so much. And it, it has certainly evolved quite a bit since then. So we no longer say women should strength train. We say women should do whatever they want with their bodies. We hope strength training is one of the things that they choose because we love it so much. But um, we, we recognize the value of autonomy, of women having autonomy and agency over their bodies quite a bit more now than we, than we did then. But we were so excited about spreading the gospel of strength training to women. And so that started in 2011 and by the time 2014 had rolled around um the original members of girls come strong had all kind of stepped away to do uh different you know continue with their gyms or their blogs or their online fitness stuff and so i was kind of there by myself and it was we were releasing our first program called the modern woman's guide to strength training and it was a general strength and conditioning program for uh, beginner, intermediate, and high-level intermediate lifters, and a super brilliant man named Dr. John Berardi. If you're familiar with him, he's the co-founder of Precision Nutrition. He sent me an email. I had met him the year before at a conference. I had stood in line for an hour to talk to him and was like super starstruck, and he sent me an email and basically complimenting me on this program we had released and said, I want my wife to do this program. 
after she recovers from giving birth to our third child. And I was like, that's amazing. Are you kidding? This is a dream come true. This is the greatest thing ever. And then I was like, I don't want to wait till after she recovers giving birth. I want her to start doing it now. So I started kind of digging in and doing, um, doing some research like, okay, well, how can we tweak this program a little bit? Oh, this would be so cool. We can, we can take the modern woman's guided strength training and tweak it a little bit for pregnancy and post-pregnancy. And then I started researching and was like, there's no tweaking of this. Like I've like, there's so much I don't know about prenatal and postnatal health and exercise. And, you know, at that point in time, I was not even 30 and I still don't, I'm 34 now. I still don't have children, but I started, I was basically, my eyes were open to this whole world of prenatal and postnatal health that I knew nothing about. And I started getting really angry that I had been seeking what I thought to be the best information about, you know, nutrition, exercise, strength training, strength conditioning for the last decade. And I never knew any of these things. I thought incontinence, you know, urinary, like leaking urine or fecal incontinence or whatever. I thought that was like, quote unquote, you know, normal after women have kids. Well, yeah, she's had kids. Of course she leaks a little bit. No big deal. Right. I didn't know anything about pelvic organ prolapse. I didn't know anything about any of these um, issues that were related to pre and postnatal health. And I didn't know anything about training women during pregnancy other than make sure they don't overheat, make sure they stay well hydrated, you know, their ligaments soften, they become quote unquote, I'm not even going to say the word, you already know the word that I'm, <laughs> that I'm not going to say about, about their bodies. But that's, I, that's all I knew about training women um, during pregnancy. And do you think after? that's pretty common, Molly? Do you think that's <sighs> pretty standard across the board through most people's yes. personal training, you know, in Australia, we have cert three, cert four. I don't know mm-hmm. in America, whether that what they cover in the basic personal training. Um, it's the courses. wild, wild west here. So there's, there's not, all, I mean, there are so many different uh, certifying bodies and there's so little covered about pre and postnatal information. And I've got, I'm of two minds about this. So number one, I understand why you can't give a full pre and postnatal um, education in a kind of general strength conditioning program. I mean, we wrote a 500 page textbook on it. There's a reason that it can't be included with a general, um, yes, there you go, <laughs> 500 page textbook on it. And there's certainly stuff we left out, right? But the thing, the thing that angers me so much is that in the general strength and conditioning programs, they don't tell you they're leaving anything out right? They give you a couple paragraphs about it, maybe a page or two if you're lucky, but they don't tell you, hey, this is just a little bit of information about this. Like we do a a mini course um, leading up to the pre and postnatal coaching certification enrollment. And it is literally way more in depth than what you would get in a, a like a personal training certification, but we're super clear, like this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is 10,000 words versus the 150,000 word textbook because there's so much to know. So it is incredibly common for people to have absolutely no idea. And again, I was searching the best, seeking out the best information for a decade and had absolutely no idea that there was this whole other world of women's health information that I knew absolutely nothing about. And so I started becoming really passionate because from my perspective, it was just one more way that, uh, you know, that women are underserved. So yeah, I can keep talking, but I'm going to let you go. <laughs> oh, that's okay. It. I just wanted to ask a clarifying question. I believe in the States that even in some States, you don't need a certificate 
to be to be a personal trainer. Is that correct? Oh, okay. So to be a per- sorry, I thought you were going to say to specifically train pre and postnatal women. Because to my knowledge, I mean, I'm based in Kentucky, and to my knowledge, you do not need any type of specialty certification to work with pre and postnatal women. Um, it is my understanding that there are lots of people who train without personal training certifications and without insurance um, because there's 50, you know, 50 states. I'm not certain what it uh, what it the ruling is state by state, but I also don't think that there's a specific law against it, meaning that even if you were doing it, I'm not sure how they would prosecute you or come after you. You might be able to get, you might be able to get sued like from a civil perspective, like a versus Personal a criminal. injury, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And and like, I mean, that just can't, well, that's not supposed to happen in Australia. Like you can't be in the fitness industry without some sort of <laughs> certification to back mm. you. Um, yeah, which is- yeah, it's to happen. It's rampant in the states. People were, you know, a high school or college athlete and aren't sure what they want to do, and so they're like, "Well, I'm just going to be a personal trainer. I like to work out." And um, it happens all the time, and people are are training without any uh, any you know certification or knowledge or um, yeah or or experience or. So one thing yeah. for our audience, I'm thinking about because you know the audience is hopefully worldwide is maybe check what exactly yeah. they've got as qualifications, you know, like, um, cause especially in America, they might not have any qualifications other than, Hey, you know, I was a star athlete. I was a track athlete. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you want to know how long they've been doing it, you know, how long they've been doing it. Uh, I think, I mean, it's, it is possible to be bad at your job for 20 years, but you would think that someone who's been doing it for, you know, for longer has hopefully got, you know, quite a bit more experience and, um, yeah, and more, more education. But yeah, the States is certainly the wild, wild west when it comes to certifications for health and fitness professionals. So I started realizing that, you know, women were underserved and then we started publishing, uh, pre and postnatal information on our website. And I mean, these articles were going, you know, bananas online because women were seeking this information. And so, um, they were, yeah, they were flocking to our website. They were flocking to our inbox. They were sending us all kinds of messages. And I started realizing, wow, women are, are hungry for this information because they're just not getting it. And so it kind of, again, coincided, like we were talking about before the podcast started with this kind of socio-political landscape of women start recognizing that, um, that women are underserved in a lot of areas. And last year, so one of the women, one of the physios involved in the certification is Dr. Meryl Alipatu. She's the director of research for the um, American Physical Therapy Association section on women's health. And she's a researcher at University of Florida. And she told me it wasn't until 1994, the federal government had to mandate that women be included as subjects in research studies because we were so understudied. They also, they use the term minorities, but also people of color, non-white people had to be, they had to mandate that they be included as well because they, we, we were so underrepresented in research studies. And we know that there's, um, there's, there are massive differences, right? There are massive differences in the way people react to medications. There are all kinds of other, um, you know, other, you know, socio-political things that lead to people getting, you know, not getting care. People of color are, are significantly less likely to be prescribed the amount of pain medication that they need. There's like 90 studies, I think, corroborating that they don't get the pain management medication that they need. So it's absolutely unbelievable. Even, so the more even oh, Serena Williams wasn't taken oh seriously. Yeah. Right. She almost died. Yeah. Like yeah. wasn't taken seriously. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that is just typical arrogance or 
you know, but you're looking at a black woman mm-hmm. and she's fitting all the statistics that speak to the same type of problem, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they said even correcting for education and socioeconomic class, black women die at rates three to four times as high as white women. And again, that's correcting for the factors that you need, you know what I mean? That, that need to be corrected for like in, in terms to compare apples to apples. So, yeah. and I think the United States, don't we have the highest mortality, uh, uh, mortality rate for women in childbirth of any developed, you know, developed yeah, nation? It's appalling. It's like, I think it's like yeah. four times higher than Australia or something. I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's very yeah. high. And in so general America has the worst health outcomes and you have the most spending per capita on health Mm. and you just have this big upside down graph it's really weird and so we started (laughs) i started like kind of realizing this stuff and it was just for me again another way that women uh people are uh, people like to argue with this with the statement that i make where i say women are underserved in the health and fitness industry and they're like what do you mean there are a million pro you know products for women i'm like women are over marketed to yeah. right there's a there's a huge difference That's in marketing to women yeah. and serving women and so i started kind of paying attention and again doing some more digging and some more research so i heard that about in you know 1994 when the national institute of health mandated that women be included in research studies and then uh, i read another um more research up to 19% of women will have surgery for pelvic organ prolapse or incontinence at some point in their life by the time they're 85 and 30% of those women will have multiple surgeries. And then uh, almost, I think it's 28% of women are still having painful sex at 12 months um, post delivery. So I mean, these numbers are astounding. And again, yeah. it's just part of it. Like, you know, women think like, you know, they're, they're, too afraid to talk about their vulvas and vaginas or too afraid to talk about sex or too afraid to talk about leaking and incontinence and heaviness and all of these kinds of things. I have friends whose mothers are, have pelvic organ prolapse to the point where their organs are descending out of their vagina and they just don't even say anything about it um, for years. So I started realizing that it, yeah, it was just one more way that you know women weren't getting the type of coaching and care they deserve. And so we were providing this information to end users and I started thinking, how can we amplify our impact, right? And the best way to do that is to educate health and fitness professionals who can then disseminate yeah. that information to their clients. So there's something like 400,000 English speaking personal trainers in the world. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how many physios there are. We've got a ton of physios who take the certification. So I just thought we've got to put together because there are fantastic resources out there right now for prenatal health and postnatal health, but I hadn't seen one that was fully comprehensive with prenatal and postnatal and including psychology, nutrition, anatomy, physiology, you know, exercise, programming, birth, rest and recovery, all of those things in one that where the approach was also evidence-based or was also body positive, where it was also really inclusive, um, and that came with, you know, the textbook and the workbook and the online portals. I just hadn't seen that stuff. So that, you know, we've got to get that out to the health and fitness communities so that they can start getting their clients and patients the coaching and care they deserve. Woohoo, amen. And I, I, I do remember at the time, Molly, that um, before the CPPC was, sorry, that's the um, pre and postnatal coaching certification for those that don't know the, uh, <laughs> the acronym there. But just before it was released, um, was it last year or the year before? It was last year, wasn't it? It was 2017. That, that at the time you were working on the GGS-1, which was the general um, coaching women certification, but 
there were so many people asking about pre and postnatal and it, it, it basically you ended up having to flip those two certifications and bring out the pre and postnatal one first because there were so many people in the Facebook group saying, I want to do better with pregnant women. Like I have so many women who've had babies. I don't really know what to do with them. Like I, can you please, please, please put this out. When are you going to bring it? When are you going to bring it? And I remember this, <laughs> this sort of you know, gentle harassment. Um, <laughs> no, this, um, so there really is the demand um, for, for that certification, which I think is amazing because like you say, you know, we can, um, we can do so much through blogs and things, but the people who are on the front line working with women every day, the better trained they are and the more comfortable they are at having those conversations. And, you know, Angie and I, we, we talk about this a lot, but you know, we, we want, we want fitness professionals and health professionals to feel really comfortable asking those questions. And, and if they're not comfortable having that conversation verbally, then, you know, like a, here's a little screening tool where you can, you can ask your client to tick some boxes and, um, as an aside, which is kind of following on from that, one of the most amazing things I think about GGS as well is that collaboration um, between the health and fitness industries, because we know that the best outcomes we can possibly get for our clients are working together as a team. So the physios working with the fitness professionals and with the obstetricians and gynees and midwives and um, lactation consultants and bringing everyone in together because none of us own this. Like mm-hmm. we can't, we can't do it on our own. Um, but it's having that ability to know where we fit in that space and who else can help and who's in our, who's in our immediate um, vicinity who can also work with this client um, to help them get those outcomes, which I think is, is just so important. Yeah, I love that. And that's a, that's a part that I left out just a minute ago when I was talking about the comprehensive nature. So we've got, you know, this, this, it's prenatal, it's post it's psychology, it's coaching, it's nutrition, it's all of these things. So we had 16 experts and six of them were physiotherapists, four were pre, our pre and postnatal experts, four are PhDs. The numbers don't add up because some of our women have multiple degrees, but there's four, yeah, four, um, four PhDs in exercise science, molecular biology, psychology, and rehabilitation science, an OBGYN, a midwife who's also a nurse practitioner, a doula. And the coolest part is that you all are from five uh, countries slash territories. By the way, there was some weird research when I was like, is Australia, wait, country, continent? Okay, because apparently- We're everything, baby. We're an island, we're a country, we're- That's what I was going to say. I was like, because I was like, wait, so uh, Heather's from here and Marika's from here. So can I, are those different countries? No, okay, no, wait, it's all one. Okay, never mind. So Mexico, Canada, US, UK, and Australia, which makes it globally relevant, which is again, so important. I know when we were um, uh, editing the birth chapter, I think Heba said something like, women stay in the hospital for five days after. And I was like, skirt, unfortunately not in the US. Uh, They usually stay after a C-section, they usually stay in the hospital only, I think three days, something like that. So the cool thing about it, yeah, it's globally relevant. And like you said, all of these health professionals working together, because we are we are truly better together. And um, like you said, their outcomes are so much better working together. And one of my favorite things, uh, I'll toot, toot physio's horns a little bit. One of my favorite things about referring people to physiotherapists is the physiotherapist that I have, uh, that I'm in contact with, always know when to refer someone to someone else. And I feel like a lot of other medical professionals don't always necessarily know when to refer to physios, but physios always, the ones that I have encountered, always seem to be really 
uh, dialed in to their scope of practice and know when to to refer out to someone else. So when people are like, I'm having this issue, should I go see, you know, a urogynecologist or this person or that person? I'm like, scared, go see a physio first. <laughs> and then they will let you know if you need to go work with someone else. So uh, yeah, we were super excited to have all of those different professionals. And again, like we were talking about before this started is so much of it too is about coaching, right? I, there's so, uh, you can understand the anatomy and physiology. You can understand the biochemistry. You can understand all that stuff. But if you don't know how to relate to your client, if you don't know how to help them feel comfortable, if you don't know how to help them feel, you know, confident and safe and all of these things, if you don't know how to give them a program or a treatment plan or whatever that they're actually going to follow, then it's all for not, right? So people say, you know, I'm a physio, is this for me? And it's like, you have to, ooh, ooh, you have to understand <laughs> the coaching side of things. Otherwise, and the psychology side of things, like think about, you know, what your client has just experienced. If you come in and you, you're, you know, all business and you don't, they don't get that connection with you. They don't feel like you understand their life. If you're like, well, you really need to be sleeping eight hours a night and I'm going to need you to do these exercises six days a week, right? They're going to- My baby gets up for three hours every night. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really understanding the kind of the human element is so important. Understanding physically what the woman's been through, understanding psychologically what she might be experiencing. Um, you know, understanding that women have a really wide variety of experiences during pregnancy, understanding that some pregnant folks don't even identify as women in the first place. I mean, there's just so many factors to consider um, when you're working with women during this really, um, yeah, this this time that, that, that has, where they have so many varying experiences. And I, I yeah, I think that's that's such an important part of of the educational, you know, piece of the certification. I think that's what's really nice about having something that people can work through over a long period of time, because when you have, you know, like a day or two to to teach people about something that is so big, at the end of the day, people will, will kind of want um, recipes, I guess, and you know, we get a lot of questions. Um, for those that don't know, in the Girls Gone Strong have, I'm going to say. If, Four Facebook groups? Is it three? Uh, we've got three. Yeah, three that are open to the public. Yeah, you know. so um, the strong women lift each other up. Mm -hmm. That's kind of our fit, yeah, our fitness enthusiast general yeah. group. And then mm -hmm. there's the strong mum sisterhood, mm -hmm. which for is the general public. Yeah, mm -hmm. for mums and mums to be. I could probably get you to talk about it. And then mm -hmm. there's a, the coaching and training women group. And I've totally lost my thread on what what was the point I was going to say. What was I going to say? Oh yeah. So recipes. So a lot of, you know, people will sometimes, um, you know, for those of you out there who have maybe had, I don't know, pelvic girdle pain in pregnancy, for example, or who have leaking with um, jumping on a trampoline, you know, often we want to have a solution that's very, very simple, right? Um, what do I do? We want, <laughs> we want this recipe um, and people will, and it's wonderful. We have such an incredible community. I say we, um, cause I'm working there, but um, yeah there's an incredible community of people offering their experiences and their advice. And there are health and fitness professionals that, that opt in too. But, you know, we often want to have like a recipe to say, if you are six months pregnant and you have this, then you do X, Y, and Z. And I think um, the great thing about having the certification is that, you know, you've got four to six months or lot, well, that's kind of the vague idea, you know, amount of time to do that amount of certification, but it could take you a year. It doesn't matter. But the idea is you're absorbing this information over a long period of time. You're learning all the different elements and then you're learning all the assessments and all the coaching tips and tricks and all the 
exercise variations and progressions and regressions. And then you kind of have to bring all that information and put it together for that person in front of you, because we know that, you know, recipes just don't work. Right. Mm -hmm. Remember when we were talking about um, exercises to help heal diastasis, right? And it's like, you remember you and Heba talking and you're like, I mean, we have what we do with our people, you know what I mean? But it's, all, it's also different based on the person and like, you know, like what's, what, what's their, how are they presenting in front of you today? And you know, like what, what's their past like? And you're like, well, there's no, there is no specific playbook for how to help every woman who has a, you know what I mean? Whatever, heal it. Like it just, it just doesn't exist like that. And so I think, um, I think at times it can be a little frustrating for people mm. because the answer is always, it depends, you know, but <laughs> someone's, answer, me doesn't, me someone's answer doesn't start with, it depends. And I tend to be a little <laughs> bit leery, right. You know, if they just jump right in the, and they are so certain about it, um, I tend to be a little bit like, hmm. Uh, but yeah, like you said, they, people want like, this is X plus Y equals Z and it just doesn't, um, just doesn't quite work that way. So I think giving them, uh, giving them all the context for the information, the context for the research. That was another one of my favorite parts. Speaking of diastasis recti, we've got like almost 20 pages on it. And it's like, here's what this study says. And here are all the limitations of this study. You know, I went a little bit crazy. Like, yeah. Here's my, <laughs> I remember our editor was like, do we really need this much on this? And I'm like, yeah, yes, because everyone keeps asking. And, well, that, yeah. that and, and we have to give all the context, yeah. right? We can't just say, this is what the study says. And so this is, you know, this is law, right? It's like, well, this, the evidence suggests, but this is what they're measuring for. And this is why that might not be as relevant. And blah, 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 so. Yeah. And there was study, people quote studies all the time and say, well, you know, this study showed that blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that was a crap study. Like it was a terrible study and look at how they chose their subjects. Like I'm not going to go off on a rant, but there's a few <laughs> studies like that on diastasis. And I, I said, I think you don't even talk about that study because it's not worth, it's not worth anything. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, mind, and, that, but, and that's why anyway. that's why marrying you know the information that you're providing with like what are what are clinicians seeing in their in their practices you know what are coaches seeing in their gyms what are OBGYN seeing in the hospital you know in their hospitals with their patients like what how can we marry this you know really valuable experience of coaches and trainers and physios with what's you know showing up in the research with you know, what the patient's values are and what they're, you know, like true, ev the true evidence-based model where you're taking all of these things into account, I think is super important as well. I love how, I love the way you're talking, Molly. <laughs> you have no idea. It just warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> People who are listening on the podcast, there were a few little, woo -woo, like, hearing, yeah. hearing right the roof and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it is because I learn from brilliant people like you and Marika, and you know, I'm I'm very encouraged um, by the people that we get to interact with, both the health professionals and the uh, the you know women who are who are enthusiast, fitness enthusiasts. I'm very encouraged uh, seeing this kind of you know army of people um again and they're not it's not saying follow me it's saying come with me right like mm -hmm. we have to do this together we uh i think so many of us have this end goal of helping you know better understand connect with serve and empower the you know female clients and patients and uh so this yeah I, i'm very excited by the professionals who are taking the certification people like you and marika who are leading the way in the industry 
um, and just the example that you're setting to help other health and fitness professionals, you know, get this type of information and help disseminate it to the women who need it. Cause that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Really appreciate that. And thank you for your kind and generous words. <laughs> um, out of all of like, you've got so much experience and so much exposure to thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of women um, who you've come into contact with in person with, can you boil down some of some of the things that we need to know about um, what are some of the key messages that you think postpartum, even antenatal, but you know, after having a baby, what are some of those key messages? What are some of some of the, the most common things that keep coming up? Um, you know, you've already mentioned diastasis, but mm -hmm. like if this is this is your chance to to say, you know, women, these are super important. You really need to think about these. What what would you come up with? Yeah, so I think there's a couple, there's always a, a spectrum, right? Or a pendulum that kind of swings back and forth. So we've got women who um, are really excited to get back to exercise and they want to jump back into the really intense stuff really quickly. And so for those women, you know, I think a lot of it does come back to identity, I find. You know, they identify as an athlete, they identify as someone who is super fit and in shape in their feeling a lot of pressure, whether it's external or internal to get back to a certain performance or aesthetic. And so, you know, for those women, I would want them to understand that their body's just undergone, you know, a, a lot of stress. And that doesn't mean that they can't get back to where they were. Um, and it's totally fine to want to get back to where they were, but just to be really kind to themselves and to, to uh, make sure that they see the proper professionals, that they have an exam by a pelvic health physio, that they work with a trainer or a coach who's um, well-versed in working with postnatal women to help them get back to where, uh, where they want to be, to maybe get a little bit introspective about why it is that they want to get back to that specific place. Is it because it's something that's really important to them or is it because, you know, they're feeling like, well, I'm a mom now and I want to be this really specific kind of mom. I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself to be super mom, things like that. Uh, and again, still nothing wrong with any of those things, but just getting introspective and making sure that it's something that they really want and being kind to themselves and giving themselves a little bit of grace in terms of their bodies. Um, there are other women on the other end of the spectrum who feel like you know, broken post, you know, post delivery, post birth, who feel like their body's not the same as it was, that there's something wrong with it, that it needs fixing, but they're scared to do things. Maybe they are experiencing incontinence or prolapse. And I want those women to understand that, you know, just like we were talking about at the beginning, like your body's strong, your body's capable, your body's resilient. Um, there's no reason why you can't return to doing activities that you love. Again, it's about working with a proper professional who can, you know, make sure that, um, that you're doing the things that you need to do to, to, to heal your body, to get back to where you want to be. So I think, yeah, just helping women understand that their body has just done something incredible and miraculous. Um, and, and that, you know, kind of upsets me when people are, when people are like, you look amazing. You've lost so much weight post-birth. And it's like, you know, I just grew a human, right? Like I promise you losing 10 pounds is not the most impressive thing my body's done in the last nine to 12 months. <laughs> um, now and, and, but again, so much of us, you know, uh, have hinged our worth. Uh, we, we think the highest compliment, right? It's not that you just grew and delivered a baby and that was really impressive. It's like, you managed to lose 10 pounds afterwards, right? Or 15 pounds afterwards. Um, 
so I really want women to take the time to um, let it soak in this amazing and miraculous thing that they've just done and, and to, yeah, to be kind to their bodies, to make sure that they're seeing the proper health professionals like pelvic health physios to make sure that, um, that they're returning to exercise safe, exercise safely and effectively. And for the ones who are, who are a little bit nervous too, to understand that their body's strong and capable and resilient, and they can absolutely, uh, return to activities that they love if they're under the guidance of someone who can make sure that everything's functioning like it should. What a great answer. Uh, it, it just fits in beautifully with mm. my thought process, but you know, fantastic. well, and, and I want to expand on that about, about the, the body thing, right? Because so many women, again, pendulum swings, right? So women are like, I want to get my pre-baby body back. And so many people market to that, right? Get rid of your mummy tummy and all these kinds of things. I want to get my pre-baby body back. Then you have, I know Then So then you have a group of professionals who are like, that's ridiculous. Why are women asking for this? You know, like you're, you're never going to get your pre-baby body back because you've already had a baby, you know, but, but with this kind of like, like just this kind of exasperated thing. Right. So here's the thing, here's where the coaching comes in, right? Cause women are, ha are coming with this uh, request and it's so easy. I, I used to get this outside of the, the pre and postnatal world when people would say, does it, does it make you angry when women are like, I'm a, I don't want to lift heavy because I'm afraid I'm going to get bulky. Right. And it's like, it doesn't make me angry because this is what they've been socialized to believe. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to validate, I'm going to normalize, and then I'm going to get more information. So I'm going to say, Hey, you know what? A lot of women have that concern. It's totally normal. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you're nervous about this? And then they start to open up, right? Well, you know, when we started lifting my senior year of high school, cause I played soccer and I put on 20 pounds and I just know it was from the lifting, you know, right? Like I just know it was from this. And so I, I couldn't fit in any of my clothes and it was really, you know, hard for me or whatever. So you get more information. Cause if you had just looked at that person and said, lifting heavy is not going to make you bulky. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So you're just, you're dismissing their concern. And they think that you don't know what you're talking about because they, they, in their yeah, experience, experience, they lifted. And yeah. So, so if a woman's like, I really want to get my pre-baby body back. Right. Or I really want to, whatever. I think it's so important to take the time to realize like, this is, she's, she's coming to you. She's being vulnerable. She's asking for your help. She is probably in a vulnerable place already. Mm -hmm. So saying, you know what, Marika, that is such a common thing that a lot of women that I work with say, that's super normal. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that means to you? What does it, when you say you want to get your pre-baby body back, what does that mean? Cause that might not even mean aesthetics to her. You know, that might just mean like certain abilities or performance or just the way she feels in her body or just, you know, feeling at home or connected or whatever. Um, so say, can you tell me a little bit more about what that means to you? And just this really gentle kind of, um, uh, understanding, affirming conversation that you can have with her to, to get more information about what that means. And, um, you know, saying, well, you know, you have had a baby. So like, you know, getting back to a pre baby, anything isn't that, you know, like that's the physiologically, that's not really possible, but that doesn't mean you can't get back to a place where you feel really strong and comfortable and you fit, you know, you fit in your clothes well and all of these kinds of things. Right. So I think, uh, yeah, being mindful of, um, not letting our own kind of 
you know, frustrations or whatever as professionals get in the way when we're coaching, uh, coaching clients is really important because a lot of women do have that. And so I think you can coach through that while also creating a really body positive environment where they start to value things about their body other than the way that they look or other than the size of jeans that they wear, you know, so you can do both at the same time. That's a really valid point. And I think, um, I guess I, I went off on a little bit of a rant a little while back about mummy tummies and things. And I, from, from my perspective, it was very much about the marketing. Mm-hmm. And, 100%. You know, if, and I love that you were sort of, you know, what you just said, because I think for a lot of women, um, new mums, there's this, I guess, we see so much these days on Instagram and on Facebook and there's this front that people put up, you know, we, we can now edit photos so easily and, um, even just with lighting and, and, and things like that, we can, we can make our bodies look really quite different. And I think a lot of mums feel this pressure that they're supposed to look a certain way within, you know, six weeks or three months mm. or anything like that. And we are constantly bombarded with these images of, um, of women soon after having given birth with, you know, six packs. And, and um, it puts these a lot of really... I don't know. I, it, I think it's just, I just think it's really challenging for mums these days. I feel like having had my children eight and 10 years ago, sure there was Pre- still the pressure. But <laughs> yeah. But it's, it wasn't that constant, constant bombardment of images. And I think um, I don't even go on Instagram these days, which is why I'm rubbish at replying to anything anyone ever sends me. I'm, I apologize about that, but um, I do worry again for the next generation. Like I think if I have a 10 year old daughter who, who she asked me like, Oh God, a few months ago, like, am I fat? I just, Oh, oh, like I don't even know how to respond to that. But already at that age, there's just those thoughts mm-hmm. coming into their head about body image and how I fit in and how I compare. And um, yeah. anyway, I went off on a bit of a bit of a you know sidetrack there. But I do think you know it's just so easy to be bombarded by images um, these days through social media, as well as obviously marketing on billboards and things. And I would implore people who work with the postnatal population to look at variety of images and you were saying before about inclusion molly but you know different skin tones different Mm -hmm. you know um people from all walks of life and different body shapes and sizes and so that Mm -hmm. people can see themselves in a gym or in a postnatal class or you know looking looking a certain way is okay you know yeah the talk that i'm giving uh this weekend in seattle is about that it's about how to create a body positive environment and again it's about so much more than the size of your body right it's about uh, it's about, you know, not just the way that your perception of the way that your body looks, but again, do you feel safe in your body? Have you experienced harassment, trauma, you know, things of that nature? It's about feeling capable in your body. You know, it's about feeling strong in your body. It's about feeling welcome in the environment that you're in. Do you feel like you belong here? You know, it's about feeling at home in your body. It's about, you know, feeling comfortable. Like, are you having pain or discomfort? Are you, um, in spaces where your body doesn't fit, you know, I mean, there's just all of these kinds of, um, kinds of ways that people can, like all of these experiences that people can have that, that affect their, their body image. And I'm certainly, I do get as angry as you about the uh, fear mongering or predatory marketing tactics that companies use to try to get women to, to purchase their, their products. I'm like, if you look at a product and it makes you feel worse about yourself after you look at it, then, you know, that's not cool. Like our whole thing is how do we help women envision a hopeful future for themselves? How do we help them feel like fitness uh, and being healthier, right? Whatever that looks like to them is within their reach. How do we help them feel like they belong 
um, you know, in a space where they can move their body, you know, safely and comfortably and all of these kinds of things. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think I'm much more on board with helping women envision that hopeful future than fixing something that's wrong with their bodies. So I think that's a, yeah, that's a really huge part of what we do. And like you said, it starts very, very young, 81% of 10 year old girls are afraid of being fat. And 80% of women in the U.S. and Canada report being dissatisfied with the way that their body looks. And 79% of women report opting out of important life events because of the way their bodies look. And it just goes on and on and on. And same thing with the young girls. These girls are not trying out for sports. They're not raising their hand in class. They're not, you know, running for class president because they don't feel like their bodies, you know, they're comfortable with their bodies. And it's, it's devastating. And, and, you know, the thing is, is we can blame social media. However, we know that Dr. Leslie Sim, who's the director of uh, eating disorders at the Mayo Clinic, says that moms have the most profound impact on their daughter's body image. So again, I talk about that a lot as well. You know, mm. what you're saying about your body matters. And the tricky yeah. thing is if your daughter says, you know, mom, am I fat? Like the, the gut reaction for moms is to say, no, honey, you're not. But what that does is that reinforces fat no is bad. And skinny is good. Fat is bad yeah. and skinny is good. Well, like, it's a metric, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it says you've made the cut. Like you're still good enough, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Cut, you're not quite there yet, right? So that reinforces more ideas of fat phobia and stuff. We've got a, two great articles on Girls Come Strong. One about help my daughter think she's fat. So how, how to have that conversation with your daughter. And number two is how to talk to children about body diversity. And oh, again, I'm totally going to write these. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's shape, size, yeah. race, ability level, right? Because kids, like they don't have, like if they see someone, for example, in a wheelchair with some type of visible disability, right? They don't carry the same baggage that we do with it. Um, but it's how to have conversations with kids about differences in bodies. So yeah. I definitely need to be a better parent. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I know. I, I mean, I, when we had that conversation, it was kind of like, I said, oh, you know, um, we, we're talking about how amazing her body is and all the things that she can do with it. And then it, you know, went on this conversation about, well, is, is, is it really bad to be overweight? Like mm -hmm. does being fat or just having excess body fat make you a bad person? You know, and mm -hmm. then, you know, you kind of end up going on this tangent and I, I don't know that I handled it particularly well, but hopefully not yeah. too bad, but we are, yeah. I end up having a conversation about privilege with my son on the way to school today. Oh, wow. <laughs> Again, yeah. And he's, he's eight years old, but he's a very, very intelligent, uh, young, young boy. But, um, it's weird how you end up having these conversations with your children, but I was explaining to him how if he was born somewhere else into a different family, he wouldn't have the the things that he has that he is so damn lucky. Like I'm, I'm like, dude, you're a white kid in suburban <laughs> Perth in Australia, going to good school with a with a mum and a dad who are married who love you. You know, like, yeah. dude, you've got it all. You cannot complain about being unlucky yeah. anything because you've never had a battle in your life, <laughs> you know? It's, like, it's so weird. My boys do not get the idea of privilege at all. Like they just do not get it. And my daughter is all over it, right? She oh, gets wow. It. And so that just means that she can see the world and my boys just don't see their privilege. Mm -hmm. um, so it's totally weird. I, I know. I, all the things that you're saying, Molly, I'm like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> I got to work out different ways because I know that some of my stuff is because I know my genetic history, right? And I know my wife's genetic history. And so all of these fears are like, 
kids, you need to stay fit and healthy. You need mm-hmm. to stay active because, you know, I try to explain things from a scientific point of view. It may not be very helpful. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, it is super easy to uh, talk about these types of things when you don't actually have children yourself. Because I don't. I have a niece and a nephew, right? So I can, I can parent like, like uh, you know, the best of them for about a week at a time, right? I've taken my nephew on vacation for a week. <laughs> and, you know, taking my niece oh. overnight a couple times. So. I am not by any stretch of the imagination professing to have all of the answers, certainly. And in fact, when people ask me, you know, will you talk to this, you know, class of young girls and things like that, I usually recommend someone else because my specialty is, you know, working with adult um, adult women. But those articles on Girls Come Strong were not written by me. They're written written by a couple of mamas. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they have some fantastic, uh, fantastic tips in there for how to have these conversations with your children. Cause we also know that, you know, if we're leading kids to obsess about their weight, that's significantly more likely to lead to disordered eating mm. and you know, unhealthy relationships with food and things like that. And, and other, uh, you know, young girls feeling badly about their bodies is more likely to lead to um, smoking, drinking and early onset sexual activity leading to unwanted pregnancy. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. So all of these, all of these, uh, yeah, things trickle down, trickle down to the and kiddos. I, I think that's challenging too, based on what children are taught in school about good foods and bad foods. And you're just like, no, no, it's food. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. we don't have to put it into this good and bad category because then, like you say, when children are starting to think about, um, you know, thinking about their weight, they're suddenly like, well, I can't eat that because that's a bad food. I can only eat mm-hmm. these green foods, you know, like the, there's like a traffic light system and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I'm trying to say to the kids, like, it's not, it's not bad. It's just like, you know, sure. This one's got a lot more nutritional value and, mm-hmm. and we probably need to just top up a bit more on this stuff, but you know, you're not going to get fat or really sick if you just have a little bit of this other stuff, you know, it's, yeah. it's a bit yeah. of balance, you know, the problem is, is when they, that's all they're eating, you know, the, uh, all the, all the processed beige foods, right. <laughs> But I love Molly growing up. I I thought I would have eaten all of them by the time I was 19. If it tells you anything, I used to go to this restaurant and get the vegetable plate, and I got two orders of macaroni and cheese and two orders of mashed potatoes with gravy. That was my vegetable plate. I'm gagging. Cornbread on the side. So I eat way more. I eat way more vegetables now thank goodness but yeah so i think i think those conversations are super super important to have with kids and again you know we can talk about media and social media and it's certainly important because we see four to ten thousand images every single day um and we only process gosh what eight percent of those consciously so 92 percent of what we're what we're seeing we're processing subconsciously and it's shaping and reinforcing our beliefs about what bodies are supposed to look like and so yeah powerful powerful stuff Mm -hmm. but why curating your social media feed is so important so follow girls gun strong follow antony follow harris fear don't bother following me on instagram (laughs) i do i put stuff on facebook i'm starting to do more on instagram because i realize that so much of the world is so visual Mm. i like having conversations i like long form typing so facebook works but you know that's why i enjoy the facebook groups and if you ever if you ever want my opinion, just tag me. But um, I'm, you know. He's always got an opinion. I've always got an opinion. <laughs> even if it's, I don't know. Usually it's, I don't know, right? Like, right. Mm, it depends. Yeah. It depends, yeah. There's so Honestly, much uncertainty. Embrace uncertainty. <laughs> yeah, professionals who can say I don't know and it depends are the my absolute, uh, the ones I trust the most, honestly. 
especially if they've been doing it for a while. You know, there's that curve of like how much you know when you first start and then how much you know after you've been doing it for and a How much time. you realize you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how much you realize there is to know. I know. I'm like, why do I feel like I know less after 15 years than I, I always refer to 2006 as the year I knew everything because I got into fitness in 2004. I'm like, well, back when I knew everything in 2006. <laughs> Well, 2012, I was the same. 2012 is what I call peak complexity for me. Uh. I had an answer for everything. I had certainty and I just shut out all the stuff that didn't work. And Mm. so, yeah, I, you know, I'm a little bit late to the game compared to 2006. (laughs) So our bias is obviously for our audience um, to find professionals that have taken extra courses on understanding pre and post uh, natal care, pre and postpartum, you know, there's so many issues that we've been talking about. It's been a great conversation. Um, To in particular, my bias is there are so many more male trainers and there are female trainers. Why should, why should any trainer want to, 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 to study more, get certified, you know, go through a curriculum like what you're presenting in your CPPC. Um, obviously we've been talking so much about these issues. Um, is that what they're going to be getting, um, in their education? Sorry, is is the pre input? You mean is the the type of information we've been talking about what they would get within the certification? Yeah, yeah. So if yeah. they take the certification, are they? You know, we're we're discussing so many great concepts and ideas, mm-hmm. and and you know, so much socio political context. Um, you know, what what are they getting in this certification? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, sixty-seven to seventy-five percent of people who hire coaches and trainers are women. Women are significantly more likely to spend money on healthcare-related things. They're more likely to go see a physio to, you know, get their doctor's visits to, you know, buy supplements to just invest in their health in general. And 85% of women approximately globally will have a baby at some point in their life. And we know that once they have a baby, they are technically postpartum forever. Uh, We got to be a little, got to add a little context to that phrase. That doesn't mean that they're delicate forever. That doesn't mean that they're recovering forever. That doesn't mean, you know, any of those types of things. It just means that there are certain considerations that need to be taken into account. Um, And so if you work with only women, approximately 85% of the women that you work with are going to be uh, pre and postnatal. And if you work with, you know, half men, half women, that number drop is about two thirds, something like that. So there's a good chance that you're already working with pre and postnatal women. Um, So it's super important to get this information. And yeah, the, the textbook is broken into the first unit is, um, is coaching and psychology. So it's for, um, four chapters on understanding things, everything from behavior-based goal setting to motivational interviewing to referral networks, scope of practice, you know, legal considerations, things like that, privacy, all that kind of really important stuff. Um, yeah, how to be a great coach, building, how to build trust, you know, understanding where knowledge and humanity kind of collide, right? Nobody cares if you can cite all the research studies in the world if they, you can't actually relate to the person that you're talking to. And then again, setting those behavior-based goals um, and setting reasonable working with your patient or client to develop their treatment plan or their 
workout instead of just, you know, assigning them something without asking if they think that it actually fits into their everyday life. Um, and then the second unit is female anatomy and physiology. Thank you, Marika Hart. She wrote so much of that. It's three chapters on female anatomy and physiology and how it changes during pregnancy. And then we've got kind of what we call the foundational um, chapter. So it's foundational psychology information, foundational nutrition, foundational exercise. The next unit is how each of those change during every trimester. So it's really cool. You could flip to one chapter and it's trimester one and it's what's going on psychologically during this trimester, what's going on physiologically, what's going on from a nutrition perspective, from an exercise perspective. And it does that for each of the trimesters. Then we get into postpartum and it starts off with the birth process. So we think it's really important for health professionals to understand what actually happens uh, with your clients during during and immediately after childbirth. And then we jump right into uh, postpartum psychology because again, that's, that's where it all starts, right? What kind of headspace is your client in? What emotions is she having? What experiences is she having? You get into recovery and then exercise, nutrition, and programming, things like that. So it's, it's literally just about everything that you could possibly want from a perspective of, uh, of a, what a woman's going through during and after pregnancy from the psychology, coaching, nutrition, exercise, you know, recovery, programming, all of those kinds of things. And the great thing is, is if you can't find something, you can ask about it in our coaching and training women group where you have access to the curriculum creators, which is really really powerful as well. So you're, if you're a coach or trainer, you're probably already working with this population. You just don't know it um, or haven't thought, haven't really thought about it yet um, or just don't understand. Uh, you think you're like me circa 2014 where you think you can just tweak the program a little bit and it'll be just fine for a woman in her third trimester or, uh, you know, immediately after childbirth. So um, yeah, I think it's super important because you're probably already working with these populations anyway. And just on that, Molly, when uh, Anthony will know this particular study, there was a study done in Perth a couple of years ago where um, a bunch of physios actually went and interviewed people coming out of gyms and just asked them a series of questions about pelvic health. And uh, was it 48, 47.9% or something of women had um, symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction? I think it was, or was that just stress urinary incontinence? I should probably ask yeah, incontinence. Um, yeah, almost 50% of women had incontinence. And a only a small percentage, maybe a quarter, had had been asked um, any questions related to one six. It was thirteen percent. It was like thirteen percent. No, and we oh, okay. thought that that was it was high. That, that was high. Yeah, yeah, we I was thought, much higher. I thought, thought it'd be like two percent. Was high, <laughs> you know. And, yeah, but, being higher than I thought, but it, but the incontinence rate is really high, and that's people going to a gym. And so mm -hmm. I think if, if fitness professionals think oh, well, you know, my clients are really active. Um, they're very unlikely to have any of these kind of issues because they're lifting 100 kilos. You can't assume yeah. that. No. And well, again, I remember there was a client at my old gym. I co-owned a brick and mortar gym for four years. And there was a client who was a really strong deadlifter and she's a mom of two and her kids were, I think in high school or middle school, high school at the time. And she deadlifted and she, uh, she leaked urine on the platform. And I remember it was like my... You know, I I knew that women would leak a little bit again when they would, but just like a tiny bit when they would like you know sneeze or laugh or cough or whatever. But I had not ever heard of that before. A woman actually like leaving up you know a puddle of urine on the platform, and it 
luckily we, my uh, former business partner had, had, there was a women's health physio that he referred her to, but it still didn't even register in my brain that like, this is a problem. This is not normal. This is like, it's something that maybe more women are experiencing than I even know about. It just didn't, yeah, it just totally didn't even register with me. Yeah, I've got I've got the details because I got my slides up at the moment. Um, oh, well done! I, yeah, I, got, uh, was it I taught I talked long enough so you could pull your slides up. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, well, it was actually open. I've got to absolutely destroy it and rebuild it. But uh, 361 women um, they they surveyed, and 49.3% uh, had oh, uh, incontinence. You were very close. Most had slight to moderate leakage. 96% had at least one incontinence risk factor. 97% had heard of pelvic floor muscle exercises, but only 15% were screened for pelvic floor dysfunction. And only less than 10% had heard of the awareness campaign that we, had, we have in Australia called Pelvic Floor First. And those risk factors um, that they found in the study were if you're an elite athlete, uh, lifting heavy weights at home, work or gym, uh, being pregnant or having given birth, going through or being through menopause, any gynecological surgery, any history of low back pain, any treatment to the pelvic region. So that's things like radiation therapy and things like that. Uh, constipation or regular straining, chronic cough or sneeze, and a BMI, um, a high a high BMI, um, because your pelvic floor doesn't care where the weight comes from, whether it's muscle or whether it's mm. uh, other tissue. It's just increased pressure on your pelvic floor. That's a risk factor for... Um, and so any one of those risk factors, 97% had, um, had one of those... Uh, sorry, 96% had one of those risk factors. So, like, I mean, you know, like I said earlier, our bias is that you go find somebody who understands that these are risk factors in the first place. Um, super important. Um, so yeah, fantastic. Um, you know, we've, we've got so much to talk about. I know. Should we just, um, maybe we should, cause I know we could talk all day. Should we finish off with just asking Molly where, where to from here with, with girls gone strong? Like what's, what's next on the agenda? Well, my <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. How much do you need for me? Cause I know you've got a lot on your plate. So I realized the other day that between March, 2017 and July, 2018, girls can strong had published 750,000 words. Wow. So we published 18 books. And if you, if you consider like our, you know, each one of our textbooks and workbooks as like an individual book. So we published 18 books, 750,000 words. Uh, that does not include the blog. Yeah, pull that book out. So um, we've done an enormous, enormous amount of um, producing and creating over the last couple of years. So now it is getting this stuff in the hands of as many people as possible while also continuing to update it. So um, I was talking to one of the women who worked on the certification, Sandy Hilton, and she was like, you know, this is only good for 10 years, right? And I was like, oh, Sandy, we plan on updating it way more frequently than that. Because again, new, uh, new research is coming out all the time and it's important, you know, we're constantly learning and even more than that, we're learning how to make the information even more transformational. Cause like you can, you can deliver information to someone, right? Like you can, you can 
uh, you know, write a 500 page textbook that nobody wants to read that doesn't actually resonate with people that is difficult to put into practice, right? So we want to continue figuring out how can we make this information really transformational for the people who are taking it so that they know how to implement it with their, with their clients and patients. So a goal for the next several years, I hope I don't ever have to write a 600 page textbook from scratch ever again. Not that I wrote it. There were 16, 16 people, but, um, uh, yeah, it's just getting it in the hands of as many people as possible and continuing to raise awareness about this. It's really easy for us in our little bubble to think, well, yeah, people know about this stuff, right? And so few people, uh, you know, understand um, pre and postnatal health, even really talented health and fitness professionals uh, understand the value of, of really uh, having a comprehensive interdisciplinary approach to pre and postnatal health. So it's getting this bless you. It's getting this in the hands of as many people as possible. And yeah, just really continuing to grow this army of health and fitness professionals who, who want to, you know, work together to, to change the landscape of women's health. Love it. No, love no, it. Changing the world. You know, I say on my seminars, I've been saying on my seminars for so long, I want to change the world, but I can't change the world one person at a time. That's mm -hmm. serial growth, right? Like this is one after the other. I can't change the world that way. So, you know, we need to support each other and have this exponential growth so that we can reach the world properly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, that's fantastic. I love it. I love, I love what you're doing. Um, I, I had the privilege of talking to Marika a lot. So I hear about what's going on. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, well, it's I fantastic. Think, I, I I'm guess, infected with enthusiasm just from listening yeah. to Marika. And now I'm talking to you. I'm like, I can see why she's enthusiastic. <laughs> well, I think fantastic. people also, and that's why I love talking to, to you, Molly. And I'm so glad that you, you had the time to come and chat to us because I think people sometimes see something like girls gone strong because it's a massive, you know, it's a massive organization Massive. and people, <laughs> I, I guess in their head, maybe imagine that there's, you know, Molly sitting in her mansion, you know, roll, Corporate swimming, and around, distant. swimming around yeah. like Scrooge <laughs> McDuck in all her million. Yeah. Yeah. With her money, like, woohoo. Um, and just, you know, delegating all these. And it's like, for those that don't know Molly, she works her ass off. Like, ridiculously hard every day she has barely slept for about 18 months um, you know she is the driving force behind everything at girls gone strong and there's a huge team working really hard including casey um her partner who who uses gives up part of his warehouse for all the books and um, your family is involved and i think people kind of need to know where that's where it all comes from and that it is that passion that you have um, and that the team have for really, and I love that attitude, message, you, know? you know, that attitude of wanting to evolve it, constantly evolve yeah. it. Um, remind me to talk to you later about my friend, Amy, um, who's helping me do this to my course. Oh my goodness. It's painful, but so necessary. Yeah. It's um, just like, you know, we're, I, I, uh, I like, I really love, well, first of all, thank you for all of those kind words, Marika. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is certainly, uh, I could not be more blessed to work with the people that we work with. I mean, I just in, in my heart of hearts believe that we are, we are better together and I'm so grateful to have people like you on the team and to have the people who, you know, create the content and the curriculum. And, you know, I'm like, I'm not even the expert here. Marika, Marika's the expert here, right? Like, I'm like, there are so many smart people really who come together and I have this idea this vision of how I want things to be. And, um, and the, the way that I want the information presented, but truly, you know, it's, 
people like you and Helen and Carolina and, you know, all of our incredible experts, Sandy and Jessica Shepard, all these people who are so brilliant. Um, and, and so I'm just kind of like, yeah, this is what I want. This is what I want, you know, and, <laughs> and you guys sculpting, molding and shaping it. But yeah, it is certainly, it is certainly a team effort. And I'm super grateful to have people who are as passionate as you and as knowledgeable and experienced as you helping. Um, Cause yeah, that's what, that's what it's all about. But yes, I'm certainly not sitting in a mansion. In fact, um, well, I'm at a friend's house right now, but I don't even, just so people know, I live in a townhouse next to a train and I don't even have a couch. So I don't have a couch. I, I joke about yeah. Molly, Molly being like the Blues Brothers, like living next to the train line and when the train goes past. <laughs> How often do the trains go past? So often well, you don't even notice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When we went to rent the place, the guy was like, full disclosure, train goes by once or twice a day. And by that, he meant once or twice an hour. So oh. <laughs> normally when I'm on, yeah, when I'm on a podcast, we hear it, but our project manager came to stay with us about a month or two ago and Casey had to go buy another chair because we didn't have anywhere for her. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Quick, quick indeed. But you, you were talking about evolution, Anthony, and it's funny because at one point I said to, um, to Molly, after, I think it was just after we, we finalized um, part of the CPPC last time. And I said, but what if like some new research comes out and, and, and it like contradicts something that we put on and Molly's like, well, that's always going to happen. So we just say, look, that is what we knew then. Now we know more and then we change it and we, and we move on and, and we will just continue to update. And I was like, yes, I love that. You know, we're not, that's the right answer. It's not <laughs> exactly. set in stone. It's not set in stone. Um, and we, we are con constantly learning all of us all the time and mm. things that we thought we knew we were confident about a few years ago. We sit there and think, oh, how did I, why did I think that? That's totally Yeah, this is the best of what we know right now and it will probably change. So stay tuned. Mm. Now, just because I'm interested for the general public, would this pre and postnatal certification be useful for the general public? Do you have to be a personal trainer or a fitness professional to take it or a, or a health professional? Or do you have something similar that's aimed towards the general public? We do have something uh, that is more geared towards the general public. So I do think uh, someone who doesn't have a background in health and fitness, the information is written in a way that's really relatable. I think they'd probably need to spend a little bit more time with the anatomy and physiology chapter, um, you know, and just really kind of dig in there. It would, it would certainly be possible for them to get a lot out of it, but I think they would do better with our, we have a program called Moms Gone Strong. And it's a nutrition, exercise, and mindset program. We've got a, a during pregnancy um, uh, portion of it. We have a post-pregnancy. And then you can bundle the two together. And the, the prenatal one comes with um, 36 weeks of workouts. So uh, that you can do up until, you know, assuming that you're, that you're feeling well. And it's for three levels. Uh, so it's got level one, level two, level three exercises. So for people that are, you know, more beginner, more intermediate, more advanced. And then we have the postnatal which includes 42 weeks of exercise. So the, the idea is that um, after you've gone through the Moms Gone Strong post, uh, postpartum program, after week 42, if everything's feeling good, if you've been following the program, if you've been seeing a pelvic health professional, you're not having any symptoms, you should be able to return uh, in general to any activity that you love, whether that's super heavy lifting or obstacle course racing or running or whatever. That's the idea is that, that you get your body back to that, to that place where you can return to whatever activity that you love. Yay. That's Yay. What you that's what I, you know, one of my key messages that I, that I say all the time is restricting, 
restricting activity in the hopes of saving a vagina is not holistic women's health, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, literally yeah. It, it seriously. And you know, Carrie Pagliano was reading through our certification and there was a, there was a part in there where she's like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I don't want to say this because this is not going to be true for every woman and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And she just kind of dove in and she was like, look, we can't say that they shouldn't be doing this. Right. We can't say that this shouldn't be happening. She's like, we need to, you know, leave, uh, leave the door open for women to be doing certain exercises if they want to, while also educating them on, you know, particular risk factors and symptoms and things to look out for. And so, yeah, it's again, it's about, you know, allowing them to envision a hopeful future for themselves. And like you said, it's not, yeah, it's not, not holistic women's health if you're not taking into account, um, yeah, the, the women's identity and what they want for themselves and the activities that they love. And yeah, totally. So many other things, right? So many things. Great All job. right. Well, we probably need a part two at some point, but um, <laughs> sure we went into part two a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for having me on. So uh, you want a little more information about where you can find. Absolutely. That was, yeah. Well, we didn't, it'd be yeah. real awkward at this point. You just like, now we're good. <laughs> no, no, we're good. How can people learn more about girls gone strong, Molly, yeah. or get in touch with you if they want to know more mm, about you? so nice of you to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. To learn more about the certifications, they can go to academy.girlsgonestrong.com that lists both of our certifications on there. The CPPC, which is our certified pre and postnatal coach. That's what you want to look for. So academy.girlsgonestrong.com. One of the best ways to, um, to stay in touch with me and get, you know, if you want to chat with me or get answers from me to join our strong women, lift each other up group. So it's, if you search GGS, strong women, lift each other up. That's our group for uh, fitness enthusiasts and kind of general population. And then we have our GGS coaching and training women for current and aspiring health and fitness professionals. You do not currently have to be a health and fitness professional, but it's for people of all disciplines from mental health professionals to physios to trainers. And then we have our strong mom sisterhood, which is for uh, moms and moms to be. So um, yeah, those three groups are super powerful ways to stay tuned in to the Girls Gone Strong community and uh, see Marika in the Coaching and Training Women and the Strong Mom Sisterhood. And I'm in Strong Women Lift Each Other Up and Coaching and Training Women. And so, yeah, those are the best ways to tag us if you have questions. Yes. And, uh, the, there is such a positive, uh, positive environment, very supportive, and um, we don't tolerate too much uh, rubbish going on in there. Um, <laughs> We have great moderators um, who, who help out a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, just, to, just to just kind of summarize that, I would just say that I, I had a, a, a very well-known physiotherapist, internationally well-known, who said to me the other day, I just love what you girls are doing in the Girls Gone Strong groups. I think it's amazing. It's so collaborative. It's so positive. It's so supportive. People can ask questions and not feel stupid, not feel shut down. Um, it's, you know, we're really there. We're really there to, to help support one another and to... Mm -hmm um yeah work together basically so there's there's no there's no silly questions um because let's face it if you have a silly question someone else has been thinking the same mm -hmm. yeah. i probably have yeah. all the silly questions i have lots of silly questions <laughs> <laughs> yep and we're all learning together and so enrollment for the uh certification opens on august 14th in America, Eastern Standard Time. That's tomorrow, uh, right? So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's tomorrow for us and enrollment closes on August 20th. So we've got a little early bird uh, period of time 
it's almost 36 hours, I believe, maybe a little more, where you get to save $200. So I don't know when this is going to go up, but maybe we'll put this up. I will try to get it up in the next couple of days. Amazing. Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much, Molly. Thank you, Molly. Thank you all so much for having me. I have the utmost respect for the two of you. I cannot wait to meet you both in person in about a couple of months. I can't remember exactly what month it is right now. But it's totally it's August at the moment. Yeah, three months, three months. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So, yeah, to meet you guys in person, it's going to be so much fun. So thank you so much for having me. I have so much respect for you all, and I can't wait to do this again sometime. Absolutely. We would love to have you back. There's so much to talk about. All right. Take care. Thanks. Well, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to hit like if you enjoyed this episode and leave any comments or questions below because we'd really love to hear from you. If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified of when we release a new episode. Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.